Today we're going to be in Matthew 16, if you want to find your way there, Matthew 16. One of my favorite movie series is the Jason Bourne series. Here's a clip. Pamela Landy. I hear you're still looking for me. Bourne? What do you want? I wanted to thank you for the tape. We got what we needed. It's all tied off. It's over. I guess I owe you an apology. Is that official? No, off the record. You know how it is. Goodbye. Wait. Wait. David Webb. That's your real name. You were born 4-15-71 in Nixon, Missouri. Why don't you come in and we'll talk about it? Born? Get some rest, Pam. You look tired. Okay, if you don't know the premise of the movie, Jason Bourne is this top-notch American spy. He forgets who he is, kind of loses his uh, uh, notion of, of who he is, and so now he's trying to find his identity, and the government is trying to, um, to reassign him, you know, trying to find him, and so he lives in this constant tension of having to be careful to make certain that nobody finds out who he is, because if they do, then he's in big, big trouble. Now, I like the movie. There's a reason I introduced this particular topic today. Um, because in the first century, Christians lived with this constant tension. Uh, for the first two or three hundred years of Christianity, it was illegal. And by the way, it's illegal in some places in the world today to even uh, call yourself a Christian. In fact, there are places today where people are violently unfriendly toward Christianity. And it sounds sort of odd, but you're taking your life in your own hands when you put your life in Christ's hands in many parts of the world. In Jesus' day, the Jewish authorities wanted to kill him, and the Roman authorities are the ones who executed the plan. And when they heard of the resurrection, neither one of them were too excited about hearing that Jesus had come back. It, it got worse with... Um, with the Emperor Nero. Let me see. Nero, look at these, uh, look at these chops. Oh, whoa, I went too far. Sorry. Uh, I don't, where's my little... Oh, look, look. See, he's got, the, he's got the Elvis thing going. Anyway, Nero came to power in about, about 20 years after Jesus' death, and he was power-hungry and incredibly, incredibly insane. And he blamed the Christians for the burning of Rome. About half of Rome burned... And they were a convenient target, and he blamed Christianity. And he is the one who institutionalized state-sponsored persecution of Christians. It's likely that the Apostle Peter 
The Apostle Paul died under the reign of Nero. And he instituted something called emperor worship. He's not the one who instituted it, but he sort of expanded it. Now, emperor worship was this. You didn't exactly have to believe that the emperor was a god. You just had to say that you believed that the emperor was God. Because when the emperor is the emperor and he has all the power, if he says he's a god, then guess what? If you want to live, you say he's a god too. Now, this was incredibly uncomfortable for Christians because we, we say Jesus is Lord. What he wanted was, you have to say, Caesar is Lord. And because Christians wouldn't go along with emperor worship, then they were persecuted, harassed, Sometimes, they were killed. Now, this, this is where the Jason Bourne analogy comes in. You're a Christian in a society where it's illegal to be a Christian. But you want people to know that you're a Christian. So they came up with a symbol. You see this on the back of cars, but you have to understand in the first century this was event, invented because it was a way for somebody to know, hey, 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 hey. I'm a Christian. You'd find this symbol uh, in shops. And people who went to the shop knew that the person, if you're a Christian, you knew they were a Christian. And here's kind of how it would go down sometimes. I'm going to use my pointer again now that I know. Yeah, all right, okay. So I'm in a conversation. I, I can see it going down like this. I'm in a conversation with a dude. We're just having a friendly conversation. I want to kind of feel him out because he's talking a little bit about faith stuff and I'm not sure where he stands. So what I would do... If I was a Christian, I would make, it's only two marks, it's, it's two little loops, I would make the first loop. Maybe in the sand I would take my walking stick and I would, I would make this first loop. And I would wait for the guy, and, and if he was a fellow Christian, he would take his walking stick and he would make the second loop. And we would know it's kind of this stealthy way of communicating we're both followers of Jesus. And again, it was a time when you couldn't be legally a follower of Jesus. So in ancient, in the first century and others, you, you see this symbol on cave walls and in buildings and that sort of thing because they wanted, it was a stealthy way of saying we are followers of Christ. We stick it on the back of our car and nobody notices. In first century, this was a huge deal. Now, people have said, well, why did they use a fish? Why would they, that's a symbol of a fish. Why, why would they do that? And some speculated it was because there's a lot of, of stories in Jesus' biographies, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four biographies of Jesus. There's a lot of stories about Jesus dealing with people and fish. You know, in fact, three of Jesus' followers, Peter, James, and John, were fishermen. And Jesus took five loaves and two fish, and he fed 5,000. And then there's the story of when Jesus is resurrected, and his, some of his guys are out fishing, and they come in, and, and he is cooking fish on the shore, and he eats fish with them. And so some have thought about that. It's not that at all. It's not because there were fish connected with Jesus in the Bible. Rather, it's the word itself. In Hebrew, uh, I'm sorry, in Greek, the word is ichthus. Iota, chi, theta, epsilon, sigma. It, it's not a fraternity. Uh, it is, uh, it's a word. Five letters. Now, the, the word forms an acronym, which is super cool. This is super cool. So, the iota is the first letter in Greek in Jesus' name. Usios, the, the, the chi is Christos, the theta is 
Theos, or God, Usios, or Uyas is son, and Soter is savior. And so it makes this acronym, Jesus Christ, God's son, savior. And so when you see that symbol now, maybe you'll look at it differently. And we are looking at, as a church, these last couple of weeks and for the next few weeks, the Apostles' Creed. It was a document that was written around 125 A.D. It is about 1900 years old. The reason we're looking at it, we don't preach the creed, we preach the Bible. Today we're going to be in Matthew 16. But we're using the creed because it teaches certain doctrines of the church, certain things that we believe. And so we're looking at it because it's a great kind of jumping off point. Plus, around the world today, there are Christians in different countries from all over who recite the Apostles' Creed. They've done it for centuries. And so there's sort of this connection of Christianity past and present of brothers and sisters in Christ around the world when we look at the Creed. And so the second line of the Creed, the first line is, I believe in God the Father Almighty. We looked at this last week, Creator of heaven and earth. And the second is, I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, we're going to talk about this being Jesus is God's Son. He's our Lord and we believe in Him. And when this was spoken in 125 AD, it was this subtle act of subversion. Because the Roman government said Caesar was Lord. And what the Christians would say, well, Caesar gets my taxes, Jesus is my Lord. We're going to kind of unpack that a little bit today. Again, this is something called orthodoxy. That means it is the established way of thinking. And we who follow Christ believe that Jesus is the Christ. He's God's Son. He's our Lord. That's what we're going to talk about today. The Apostles' Creed is kind of written with sort of three different sections, basically, but it, it really hinges on Jesus being the, the, the hinge. I mean, he's kind of the, the, the big deal in the, uh, in the Apostles' Creed. All right, so, he's Christ. Let's go back one. He's uh, Christ. He's God's only Son. He's our Lord. And we're going to look at that just now. Okay, so, first thing. Um, Matthew sixteen thirteen through 14. When Jesus came to Caesarea Philippi, it's important to note where this is. We're going to talk about the town in just a second. When Jesus came to Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples this question. What are people saying about me, the Son of Man? Who do they believe I am? And they answered. Some are convinced you're John the Baptizer. Some say you are Elijah reincarnated or Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Now, good news is people understood Jesus was special. Now, at this time, John the Baptist had already died. And so they were saying, well, maybe, maybe Jesus, he's doing these amazing things. Maybe he can do that because he's John the Baptist who's come back to life. We, we, we don't believe in reincarnation, but some of them believed in reincarnation, and that's what they thought. The, the other people said, well, maybe he, he's Elijah. Now, if you are Jewish, Elijah is, has this huge place in Jewish theology. They do a meal every year called Passover. 
It celebrates the time where God passed over the Israelites. He uh, crippled basically um, the, the uh, Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And it's when Moses led the people out of Egypt, out of slavery, of 600 years of slavery. And he led them out. And they celebrate Passover. And at the Passover meal, they have certain foods. And they set an extra plate for Elijah. It's an empty space for Elijah. And the idea is the coming Messiah, the coming deliverer, will only come after Elijah comes first. So to say he was Elijah was, was quite honorable. To say he was Jeremiah also honorable. If you read Jeremiah's prophecies in the Old Testament, he's an Old Testament prophet, and he, there's a book about him uh, in the Old Testament. He prophesied and he, he kind of preached against uh, religious people taking advantage of folks. That was kind of his big deal. He didn't like it that religious people took advantage of people. And so, because Jesus did the same thing, he was often <laughs> combative with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and that sort of thing. Then they began to believe, well, maybe he's, he's kind of like Jeremiah. He's a new prophet like Jeremiah. So they understood him to be special. They didn't understand, they didn't quite understand how special. And so Jesus continues the conversation. Hey, who do people say I am? And then he asks the question, what about you? Who do you say I am? Most important question you'll ever ask and answer yourself in all of life. Who do you say Jesus is? And Simon Peter answers, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And you can see where the Apostles' Creed got you are the Christ, Son of God, our Lord. It, it comes from this verse. At least most of it comes from this verse. So first let's look at Jesus is the Christ. Understand something, Christ isn't Jesus' last name. We really should call him Jesus the Christ. That's a title. It's like you call me pastor. Well, I'm a pastor, that's my title, but my name isn't Pastor Vest. Jesus' name is Jesus. He doesn't have a, a last name. He's Jesus the Christ. And it's important when Peter said it, he didn't say you are one of the Christs. He said you are the Christ. The article is really important here. You're the Christ. You are the, you can put that in all caps if you want, the Christ. Now, what does that mean? What does the word Christ mean? If it's a title, you know what a pastor is. That's easy to explain. What does it mean when you're the Christ? Again, the Jewish people live in a country where they are occupied by the Romans, who are incredibly, extremely powerful. The Romans, you didn't do anything without the Romans' consent. I don't know. We, we can't even relate because we are Americans and we are free and we have freedoms and, and, you know, don't tread on us. And we have all this freedom and we enjoy it. And I'm not sure we appreciate it the way we should. But that's another topic for another day. We enjoy freedom. And the Jewish people in the first century didn't. Because they lived in a land. It was their land, but it wasn't really their land. Because it was occupied by a force. The Romans. And they were brutal and they were harsh, and they demanded your um, respect. And so the Jewish people were hoping and praying for somebody to come and deliver them from 
this occupying force. That person was called the Messiah or the Christ, the Deliverer. That's what they were looking for. Now, I mentioned a second ago that they were at Caesarea Philippi. Let me tell you about this town. I'm going to give you a little geography. Aren't you excited? I, I can see it on your face. I said geography, and you just lit up. Oh, you're welcome. Okay, a little geography. Okay, a little geography. This is a map of Israel. Okay, I, I get to use my pointer today more than any time uh, all year. It's so exciting for me. All right, so we know Jerusalem. This is where Jesus dies. Bethlehem, if it had been here, would have, would have been about right here. You have Nazareth. That's where Jesus lived as a boy. Jesus from Nazareth. Uh, this is the Jordan River. Uh, that's the Sea of Galilee. This is the Dead Sea. You notice there's no outlets for the Sea of the Dead Sea. That's because the water comes in, but it never goes out. It just uh, evaporates. It, it is uh, lots of minerals, and it's sort of a cruddy lake, basically. Uh, sea of Galilee is where Jesus did a bunch of stuff up at the top there. And Capernaum is kind of where Jesus, uh, sort of his base of ministry a lot of times. And right up at the top, right up here, there's a town called Caesarea Philippi. It was built by a guy named Philip. He was Herod the Great's son. And he built it because he wanted to... The Romans had sort of a, a base of operation in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is an ancient town. There weren't a lot of amenities there. They didn't really like it. There's no mall, you know. There's no uh, Aldi, nothing good, you know, nothing good. And so the Romans didn't like Jerusalem, kind of stinky old town. And so they built a modern town. Guess which one it was? Caesarea Philippi. And uh, Herod Philip, a guy named Philip, built it. And he called it Caesarea because he was naming it after the Caesar. And he named it after himself. You know, it's kind of nice. Uh, um, Caesar, I'm going to name the first part of the town after you. I'm going to name the second part of the town after myself. And Caesarea Philippi, when these guys weren't working, when these Roman officials weren't working down in Jerusalem... Uh, they traveled up here because this is where they preferred to stay. It was modern, and it was Roman, and if you were a Jew, it was a poke in the eye. Because this town that was ultimately extravagantly Roman was built in their country. It would be like somebody occupying the United States and building a city and all the writing was a different kind of writing, and it was just different. And those people lived there, and we aren't for them. And Caesarea Philippi was sort of the lighthouse of Rome in this country. And the Jews despised that it was there. So when Jesus says to his disciples, sitting where they can see Caesarea Philippi. This is how I picture it. They're on a hillside, and Caesarea Philippi is right down there, and they're talking about this, and Jesus says, who do people say that I am? And they give him some answers, and he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. You're the deliverer, the Son of God. And to say it in the shadow of Caesarea Philippi was also this incredibly subversive act 
Peter was saying, you're, you're the real king no matter what anybody else says about who the king is and who the authority is. You are our authority. No matter, even if we're in the shadow of Roman authority, you are our authority. It, it is incredible. Think about Rome just for a second. Rome ruled from India to England. Get it in your mind how big that is. They ruled from South uh, Europe uh, into Northern Africa. They ruled this huge expanse for nearly 800 years. I mean, America has been around, what, less than 250 years. They ruled this massive land, this massive landmass for 800 years. It was, it was gargantuan. It was huge. They were powerful. And they let you know they were powerful. What's super interesting is it's like before they had, you know, warships and planes and those kind of things. And so if you were in Rome and something happened way over in, in Asia, it would take you, not, it wouldn't take you days, it would take you years to go squash this uh, uprising. That's how big their, their, their country was, their uh, territory was. And so Peter says in kind of in the shadow of power of the day. You're the Christ. And we confess Jesus as our Christ. He's our deliverer, but not from governments, not from physical problems, not from a military. In fact, look at, look at how Jesus delivers us. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son, Jesus, to, to save us from our sins. Jesus is our Christ. He is our deliverer. And where the Jews were looking for a deliverer from Roman power, we need somebody to deliver us from our own sin. Jesus is the Christ. And then He's the Son of the living God. God's only Son. Now this is important because, look what it says um, here. Um, Look at the article. You are the Son There's a sense in that we're all created in the image of God. We're all sort of sons and daughters of God. But Jesus holds a very special place that only Jesus can hold in the economy of the universe. Jesus is the exact representation of Christ. Now, in the Bible, there's this cool verse in Ephesians that talks about we get adopted into the family. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Christ, and because of Jesus, we have this opportunity. But when the Bible talks about Jesus' sonship, it is unique to Jesus. John 3.16, we all can quote this. Uh, For God so loved the world, He gave His one and only Son, His only begotten Son. And and there's something incredibly unique about Jesus. Though we are created in the image of God, Jesus is unique in that He is the Son of the living God. Look at Hebrews. God's Son, talking about Jesus, has all the brightness of God's own glory and is like Him in every way. He is the exact representation of God. By His own mighty word, He holds the universe together. And after the Son had washed away our sins, He sat down at the right side of the glory, the glorious God in heaven. He, he's unique Last week we talked about nature, the fingerprints of God are all over nature. 
We, we see godness in nature and how things work and in their majesty and in their power. We see the fingerprints of God every place. But when we see Jesus, we see the face of God. It is like taking it to the next level. Because you can see the power of nature and you don't know if the power is for you or against you because sometimes it can be either. I mean, if you get out too far in the wilderness, the power of nature isn't for you anymore. We love it, but it's dangerous. But when we see Jesus, He is this exact representation of, of God to us. He's no, God's no longer hidden he, he, he's unique. Now, to a Western mind like yours and mine, when we see only begotten, we think of somebody who has fathered a child. And so we kind of our minds go to, okay, when did God father a child? To a Hebrew mind, you have to understand this completely differently. In the, in the Hebrew mind, to be a son of someone had much more to do with your having common ideas than common ancestry. And we have expressions around that even in, in our culture. Uh, we'll say something like, he's like a son to me. You ever heard anybody say that? He's like a son to me. Winston Churchill had a son. This is a picture of Winston Churchill. He had a son named Randolph. That's not Randolph. Churchill and Randolph didn't get along very well. In fact, they argued a lot. And really, they would go extended periods of time and not speak to one another. Now, this is a guy by the name of Brendan Bracken, who <laughs> Churchill and he were fast friends. It was a young guy, could have been his son. And so, in fact, there was sort of this rumor that Bracken was Churchill's illegitimate son. Churchill kind of found that humorous. It, it wasn't true, but he kind of giggled about it. But Bracken and Churchill, they, they were cut from the same cloth. They had the same ideas. They... Uh, thought the same way. They were twin rails on a, on a railroad track. They, they tracked the same way. And, and so when we hear this expression, only begotten, it, it's not particularly physical descent. It, it is they think the same way because Jesus is eternal. He's co-eternal with God. He didn't all of a sudden, like you and me, have a beginning. He's, he's beginless, if that be a word. He has always existed. And in Hebrews again it says the sun radiates God's own glory. He is this he he is an exact representation. The Greek word is karasso. It means identical. It's like if you had a coin, the way they create coins is they have this thing that stamps them out. It's called a die. And the die has the whatever you want, like the eagle or the face of, of whoever, and then you put the metal in there and you stamp it, and that is kind of the impression that we have here. He is Jesus is an exact representation of our Heavenly Father. So not only is He our Deliverer, He is God in a unique way that only He can be. We are sons and daughters uh, in the fact that we are created in the image of God, but He is unique and that He is co-eternal. He didn't become God, He's always been God. And then thirdly, He's our Lord. We're going we're gonna to spend a few minutes on this. The word is kurios in the Greek. It means absolute ruler. Now let's go back to the first century. 
the Romans would conquer new territory. And these new territories would have their own religions. They would have their own religious leaders, priests or prophets or whatever. They would have their own religious ceremonies. They would have their own religious practices. Oftentimes they had their own religious writings. They had their own religious um, ways of doing things. And what the Romans discovered was you could just let them have their stuff because it pacified the, the, the masses. We are going to occupy you, but religiously you can do what you want to do, except, except, except. We require you to pay taxes. We require you to offer a very minimal sacrifice. And we require you to say, Caesar is Lord. That's all you had to do. So to get along in Roman world, for the most part, pay your taxes. And, and the sacrifice would be like, like a, a pinch of salt in fire. I mean, no, it's nothing. Just I mean, irrelevant. And then you had to say the words, Caesar is Lord. And Christians steadfastly refused. They refused. Christians in the day, now again, think about this logically. All they, they didn't have to believe it, they just had to say it. Caesar is Lord. And yet Christians were persecuted, murdered by the thousands, crucified, burned at the stake, run through with swords. They were thrown to wild animals in the Colosseum simply because they would not say Caesar is Lord. Because when you say somebody is your Lord, you're saying they are in charge of my life. When we say Jesus is Lord, we are saying Jesus is in charge of my life. In the Roman world, you could say that Jesus is God and nobody would have even looked at you. If you say Jesus is Lord, you would cause a riot. Let me be crystal clear. Christians were not persecuted because they believed in the deity of Christ. They weren't persecuted because they believed that Jesus was the Messiah. They weren't persecuted because they believed in the resurrection. They weren't persecuted because they believed that Jesus is the only way of salvation. Those are all religious things. And honestly, the Romans could not care less what you believed religiously. But when Christians declared Jesus is our Lord, they were saying Jesus is and Caesar isn't. And that was why they were killed. And persecuted and had to go into hiding and it's in many places in the world today the exact same thing we sometimes flippantly say Jesus is Lord and today we need to understand how that has cost millions of people their lives for simply claiming Jesus as their leader we, we dare not just blow past that like it's not a big deal. It, it's the ultimate deal for many people. See, when we call Jesus Lord, that means He's in charge. And we follow Him wherever He goes and wherever He leads. And we'll do 
whatever he says. See, in Romans it says this, if you confess with your mouth, (laughs) there it is, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It is key to salvation. When we say Jesus is Lord, what we're saying is we reject anything else. Science isn't Lord, our government isn't Lord, what somebody teaches isn't Lord, common opinion isn't Lord, public opinion isn't Lord, um, what everybody thinks isn't Lord, what Twitter says isn't Lord, Facebook isn't Lord, Instagram isn't Lord, Jesus is Lord. What he says goes. I believe him and I'm going to follow him even if nobody else does. And there are brothers and sisters in Christ today who are being persecuted just like they were in the first century for claiming Christ as their Lord. You see, you have to do something with Jesus. The Muslims do something with Jesus. They respect him. He, to them, is a great prophet. They call him Isa or Isa. They believe he was a great prophet, a great man. They believe that if he had been crucified, they're not really sure about that, but if he was crucified, he just didn't die. There are Jews. They believe in Jesus. They just believe he was one of the many who were false prophets, false messianic claimed claimants, uh, somebody who claimed to be the Messiah who then turned out not to be. Um, The Hindus, they believe in Jesus. They believe he's the incarnation of the god Vishnu. The god Vishnu evidently comes in many forms and has come in many forms as diverse as a fish, a dwarf, or a human being. The atheists and agnostics believe for the most part that there was a man named Jesus. He was a great moral teacher. Nominal Christians believe in Jesus. Folks who don't believe that Jesus is Lord, but they kind of believe in Jesus and they're like church. They believe that Jesus... Should We kind of keep him around. He's sort of a nice thing to have in your wallet in case you have a need. Something like a genie in a bottle. I believe in Jesus, I just don't make him Lord. What he says go goes, it's not really that for them. See, the real question, the, the, best, the greatest question you're ever going to answer in your life is, who do I think Jesus is? Is he a great moral teacher or is he Lord? Because those aren't the same things. Have we gotten to a place in our lives where we say, Jesus, whatever you say in my life, I'm going to do. Whether it's easy or popular or I like it. Because when we say Jesus is Lord, remember Romans, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, what you are saying is he is in control of my life. It is the question that determines a person's eternal destiny. It's not just an important question. It is the important question. You can be a success in everything else. You can have a great business. You can have lots of money. You can have a beautiful spouse with beautiful kids who do beautiful things on the ball field. If you miss this question, none of that (laughs) means anything. The Apostles' Creed gets it right. 
We believe in Jesus, the Christ, God's unique Son, our Lord, the one who tells us what to do, the one whose directions we follow no matter what. This is the belief of followers of Christ for millennia around the world today. Father, we thank you for your son who is unique and is our deliverer and wants to be our Lord. And I pray, Father, that um, if we've missed that in our lives, that we would make that right. And when we make it right, when we say Jesus is Lord, nobody else, nothing else, not even ourselves, when we say Jesus is Lord, help us, Father, to have the wisdom and the fortitude to follow through and do whatever he says, no matter what. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.